0: He's a great and awesome God, and he demonstrates that to the family of Abraham by helping find a wife for his son Isaac, which is a very interesting story in Genesis chapter 24, told in great detail. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn over there. We are sitting down with Isaac. Hello, Knights. Paul, Michelle, girls, all grown up. Good to see you back from Texas. Really, when I read this story, I have to admit to you, it's a mystery to me. So I don't want you to think this morning that I'm some Dr. Phil, all right? I'm no expert in love. Now, now, I have been married and faithful to one woman all the days of my life here, so I know something about being married a long time and loving the one you marry. but I'm not going to tell you that I'm an expert in love. When I read this story of Rebecca and Isaac, I shake my head in wonderment. I do. The old man Abraham sends his olden servant Eliezer off to find a wife for his son Isaac. He wants him to go to a particular town, a particular place, go back to my own people. I want a wife for my son Isaac from my family back home. And so Eliezer heads off to the land of Nahor. And he stops by the well. And last week we heard his prayer. Let her be the one. Let her be the one. It's been echoing in my head since I saw it in the NIV. If she asks to water my camels, let her be the one. And she does. And he sits back to see how Rebekah behaves around the well. And he decides she is the one, and God has brought her to him. And in verse 50 of chapter 24 of Genesis, Laban and Bethuel answered Eliezer, who has made this proposal... This is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebekah. Take her and go and let her become the wife of your master's son as the Lord has directed. So that's the conclusion of the matter. Eliezer shows up at the well. Rebekah comes. She waters the camels. It is evidently the answer of God to the long prayer of Abraham. And the long prayer of Eliezer. In verse 55, after Eliezer has said, send me on my way. But her brother and her mother replied, let the girl remain with us 10 days or so. Then you may go. Hey, couldn't we have a little time with her? Yes, she's the one. God said it. But let her stay for a while. But Eliezer is the kind of servant that wants to be on task and on the job. And now that he's gone on this long trip and he's sort of on a vacation and enjoying himself, he's not ready just to stay away from his duties back home. It's a good lesson here. He wants to get on back. He said to them, do not detain me now that the Lord has granted success to my journey. Send me on my way so I may go to my master. Then they said, let's call the girl and ask her about it. So they called Rebekah and asked her, will you go with this man? So Rebekah is asked the question, will you go? I will go, she said. So they sent their sister Rebekah on her way along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the gates of their enemies. Then Rebekah and her maids got ready and mounted their camels and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebekah and left. Now Isaac had come from Bir Lahai Roy, for he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate. And as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebekah also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked a servant, Who is that man in the field coming to meet us he is my master the servant answered so she took her veil and covered herself then the servant told Isaac all he had done Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother Sarah and he married Rebekah so she became his wife and he loved her and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death Isaac is an interesting man he's in the field meditating a good place to be how long since you have just pulled aside to meditate Maybe in the backyard, in a favorite place you have back there. And you're just meditating and praying. The Hebrew word's a little cryptic on what this might mean. But we see Isaac somewhere off by himself, having gotten away from the household and all the normal duties just to spend time alone in the field. And that's where God finds him. And where Rebecca finds him. He's a man of peace. Isaac is he will make peace throughout his life he's not the dynamic leader that his father Abraham was nor the military general that his father was he's a man who treasures relationships he seems to be a man who is gentle and kind he's a man who loves his mother I know this about him in this text He and Rebecca enter into an arranged marriage. Eliezer and Abraham, Laban and Bethuel, they make the decision that these two are a match. And though they get their consent, the one and the other, it would have been hard for either one to pull out under the circumstances in the culture. They do give their consent. But the marriage is arranged. What chance of success have these two people who come together in such a strange way? Rebecca not only with the veil over her face but a complete stranger to Isaac who is 40 years old. What chance have they got to lead a happy life together? And yet, do you know, they are the single monogamous couple in the trilogy of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isaac will love Rebecca, and Rebecca will love him back all the days of their lives. There are no recorded affairs, no missteps, no other spouses for them. One man, one woman, two twin boys that they will raise together. They will live out their long life and they will be buried together in the cave of Machpelah, Abraham bought, where he buried Sarah where he himself was buried. So really, Isaac and Rebecca are one of those rare couples in the Bible who actually are a nuclear family. A husband and wife and kids. You just don't find that that often. There's lots of blended families in the Bible and multiple wives in the Bible. And when you read through the Scriptures, mom, dad, and the kids, this... It's really more rare than you think. If you start trying to pick one out of your Old Testament and sometimes even New Testament, it's a little hard sometimes. But Isaac and Rebecca, they make a pair, they make a marriage. I don't know all the secrets to this long love, but I will tell you four things. Isaac did. They're all in verse 67 in the summation of the chapter. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah. Now, I don't know if he reached down and swooped her up and carried her across the threshold, all right? I like to think so. Veiled Rebecca comes up there and Isaac just swoops her up and he carries her into the tent. Carries her over that threshold. Into his life she comes. Leaving behind the life she knew. It's a tent, this dwelling into which Rebecca comes. We have some indication that Laban and Bethuel are longtime residents in one place, that perhaps they have progressed until they are no longer nomads. Now they have an address, and you can find them there. At their address, year after year, and perhaps Rebecca lived all her life in one place. We don't know that, but it's a possibility. But with Isaac, she's moving into a tent and she will move with him very soon. Again and again and again. Like young couples do Young couples are often nomads, education, work experience, bottom of the totem pole, working through the corporate ladder, this place and that and there they go and that's what life is and it's not easy sometimes to enter such a life. And leave the family in the place that you love and where you feel you've been stable and secure and everything was familiar around you. And now all of a sudden you're in this other life, this other place. But Rebecca will do what Ruth said she would do with her mother in law, Naomi. An often read covenant in Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, where Ruth says to Naomi, and you can hear it in Rebecca, Entreat me not to leave thee, nor to turn back from following after thee. For where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. Nothing but death will part me and you. Carried from her life leave your father and mother carried into the tent of Sarah. Now when this new wife arrives, she is living in the home designed by her mother-in-law. Okay. Maybe her favorite furniture is still around the tent. The fragrance of the tent. The tent itself is full of memories of Sarah. Isaac carried her into that tent. And the scripture says, he married Rebecca. What that means is, they entered into covenant one with another. You say, well, what's the point of marriage? He carried her into his tent. Why do they need to make promises? What do they need a piece of paper for? These promises, this covenant, this... Do you take her to be your wife? Do you take him to be your husband? Are you ready to take him from the life he now is leading and form a new life with him? These promises are essential to the covenant. It's how we enter into a lifelong relationship. And the promises are made not just to one another because these promises affect everything. Abraham is going to die. His death will be recorded in the next chapter. Sarah's death is recorded the chapter before. It is the passing of a generation. It is establishing a new home. It is highly significant for all that God is doing for the culture and the community of Abraham. It is a new beginning. So people are there to hear the covenant. There are witnesses to the promise. It is on purpose. It is public. It is to families. Reconnecting. And it is powerful, this promise. How many times in your life do you stand in front of witnesses and say, I do. How many times will this happen to you? Even people who argue cases before courts and make presentations before crowds, when they stand up here to say, I do, they shake. Their knees wobble. Sometimes you have to catch them and set them down and they'll faint on you. What's going on? In the saying of I do, it is the power and weight of the moment when you pledge yourself to a lifelong relationship. It's something you can't experiment with, all right? There's no practicing such a relationship it is the promise that you make one to another for a lifetime he married her a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife and they become one flesh Now, this marriage was arranged. There's a couple things I learned from the story of Rebecca and Isaac. A long courtship is not necessary every time for a marriage to succeed. Some of you have stories of getting married after six weeks, and you've been married 50 years. I had someone sharing that story here recently. So the normal courtship now is 42 months, I think, in our culture. That's the non-internet courtship. All right? If you meet somebody on the internet, I think it's 18 months. There are about 17% of the couples getting married now who met by internet. But Rebecca and Isaac, they got a really compressed courtship all right I'm not sure how important the process is by which you find your spouse if it is bathed in prayer and you are seeking God's will and purpose Eliezer and Abraham prayed, God heard their prayers, Laban and Bethuel recognized it, and they said, this looks to be of God, Rebekah and Isaac recognized it too, they entered into marriage, he took the veil off her face after having sealed the covenant, never having seen her, as I read the text, until he made his promise, and the scripture says, he loved her, It's one of my favorite phrases in the Old Testament. Isaac married Rebecca, and he loved her. The word love is a word used many times in your Old Testament. And it is the idea of longing and desire. It has the idea of breath in it. To breathe after. He loved her. I think he took that veil off her face and it took his breath away. Yeah, I think there was chemistry between Isaac and Rebecca, all right? I think there was. And that's important. He loved her when he took that veil off her face. but he also chose to love his wife and that's even more importantly the key to their long love he chose to love her husbands love your wives that's what paul said husbands Love your wives. Love that wife of yours. That woman to whom you made the promises. That one with whom you've had that child or those children. You love her. You love her after 60 seconds and 60 years. You just keep loving her. You love your wife. You love her every day. In every way. You love her like Isaac loved Rebecca. And don't you ever take your eyes off your love for her you love her passionately you love her on purpose you love her intentionally every day you get up in the morning you choose to love her yesterday's love is not enough today you must love her too you love her today and you love her tomorrow and every minute you walk on the planet you love your wife You choose to do so. Why should I choose to do so? Because God commands it? Yes. But I also want you to know something. Real love is freely given. Real love is a choice you make. that's why it's commanded because God knows you can choose not to you can say no to love for your spouse you can say no to love in your life and it is a beautiful thing and it is following in the footsteps of your creator and of our savior Jesus when you make the choice to love every day You remember that love is volitional. You choose to do it. I hear people say sometimes, well, I just don't love her anymore. I don't love him anymore. You better check your heart. Something died in you that's awful important. Something's missing that's an ingredient to real life. Have you lost the capacity to love? And if you have, how will that affect all the rest of your life and the days of your life? And all that lies before you. Isaac loved her. It is volitional, it is intentional, it is on purpose, it is a commitment that he makes to love her every day. What holds a family together? Love does. People choose to love. And it changes all the connections, all the relationships, all the conversations, all the decisions, the way we approach life. Everything changes. When you choose to love. Now, Isaac loved Rebecca. But he also loved his mother. And I want to show you the last phrase of this summary. So she became his wife. And he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Why is that in the Bible? I think Rebecca had a sense of the presence of her mother-in-law from the very moment she walked into that tent, all right? And Isaac loved his mother. And when she died, he grieved. And it has now been three years since his mother died, and they buried her at Machpelah. And still he feels it in his heart. But Isaac is somebody who knows how to go on to God's next thing. And though he has grieved the loss of his mother, he embraces the new love God brings into his life. And he proceeds into a future with Rebecca. Blessed is the wife... Whose mother-in-law knows she must increase and I must decrease. Amen? All right? If you still got your mother, that's wonderful. But mother-in-law, once that baby gets married, you got to decrease, honey. And that new spouse has to increase. Like... John the Baptist said of Jesus, it's a new generation, it's a new relationship. And I'm not going to be Dr. Phil with you and talk about all the ways in which relationships to mothers can mess up present relationships. I know that's true. But I am going to say to you, as parents, we give a wonderful gift to our children when we urge them to leave emotionally and cleave to that new spouse and set up that new home. And it is a wise mother-in-law and father-in-law who learn how not to meddle in the affairs of that new couple. And it is a wise husband who knows how to go on with the most important relationship he now has with any woman in the planet which is his wife not his mother now William Faulkner is featured in the travel section today and he is quoted one of his famous quotes the past is never dead Faulkner said in fact, he says, the past is never past. And so all of us in the room live in the shadows of previous relationships among those we love. And we do them a disservice. To think those shadows will disappear. In fact, they do not need to. We are all products of the connections between people that we've loved. And we need to embrace that love and how it changed us. But we need to know, too, how to go on to the next thing God is doing. Sometimes we get hung up on the previous thing because it was sick. It wasn't what it was supposed to be or should have been. And because it was ill, because it was diseased, our mind can't leave it. Somehow it's got its hooks in us and we can't be healthy and go on with life. It drags us back into the cauldron of its darkness and its sickness. And here's how we deal with relationships that went bad and were wrong. Here's how we deal with people who should have loved us and didn't. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is how you bring somebody new into the tent without overwhelming them by your past. You forgive the ones who wrong you. Have you learned the key to forgiveness? Do you know how to forgive? I'm not talking about the slap on the wrist, the little thing somebody did to you. I'm talking about the dagger they plunged into your heart, the disappointment that caved in your world, the thing that changed everything for you, the worst disaster you ever had, the man that betrayed you, the woman that walked out on you, the thing that hit you deepest and longest and hardest. you got to forgive that, sister, to get well, to get whole you got to forgive. You say, I don't know how to forgive. That long, deep hurt of mine. You come into the presence of the Lord Jesus who forgave you when you were still a sinner and going your own way and turning your back on him And it was costly forgiveness which he gave to you when he volunteered his love and of his own free will laid down upon the cross and let them nail him there. What held Jesus to the cross? The same thing that holds you in the relationship of marriage. It is love. It is love that holds us to our covenant. You learn forgiveness at the cross of Christ for today and tomorrow and the thing that wounded you the most. And when you grant forgiveness as a living work, I know, day after day, sometimes seemingly done and then again renewed, it's okay. When you let forgiveness follow you as you live out your life, You're free to go on with the next thing that God brings. Let's bow together. What's the next thing God's up to in your life? Have you seen it on the horizon? Do you know what it is? Can you embrace it? Can you say, Yes, Lord? What's holding you back? God, I pray today that you will teach us the grace of going on to the next thing. Lord, that you would show us what it means to do so. For every man and woman in the room, God, that you would help us learn to forgive and forgive and forgive again, and thus set us free from the baggage of yesterday. God, we pray for your love to fill this room. Help us to know again how much you love us and to embrace that love and return it and learn how to operate in love with you and in our world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.